There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein. Well, I should have uh, hit the record button about 15 minutes ago because we already had some really great content here and uh, Kenny didn't need any warm-up today. So so uh, we're blessed uh, today to have uh, not only music royalty, but uh, if you happen to be a local Santa Barbara resident, we have local royalty with us today, Kenny Loggins. Kenny, thanks for being with us today. It's good to be here. Thank you. Um, like, like I was telling Kenny earlier, it would be much easier to speak about music for, for the next hour, and it may be much easier for him to speak about music for the next hour, but unfortunately, or fortunately, we're a psychology podcast, <laughs> and people are tuning in to hear, they probably will actually rather hear Kenny sing than, than me or Dana talk, but uh, this is a big year coming up for you here in in 2023 and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that and a a little bit about your history but you mentioned something before we started recording um we were talking about uh people knowing you and people knowing the public persona or the music persona of kenny Loggins. and you mentioned to me you go well people think they know me yeah can you expand on that i think that's primarily because if if you know the music you uh, my music is very autobiographical. So in that way, people tend to feel that I'm an old friend. Uh, but of course, the catch-22 is that all music is interpreted by the listener. And so they're transposing their own story onto mine, uh, which is sometimes, you know, usually a good thing. I think the strength of my music and the reason it's been around so long is because I try to write music that matters to me and that touches some part of my soul. So in that way, it can, over time, touch other people's hearts and become a part of their lives. So how, we're not going to recreate the Wikipedia page and and obviously people know you and, and can Google you and find out your history and everything that you've done and it's it's obviously multiple pages long but how did you get your start in music is that always been something from early childhood on parents involved in that or not exactly no uh my big brother dan was was very much a mentor for me in that way four years older and into all the front edge rock and roll and music stuff that you know folk era and all that that was ahead of me because i was just enough younger to not be a part of the big folk movement. Uh, uh, the Kingston Trio, the Limelighters, on all the way into Joan Baez and Bob Dylan. And that evolves into early British invasion, Beatles, you know, the, all the music that came out of that. So um, for me, that's, he was the major influence for my getting into music. And I stole his guitar and learned to play it. Is he a musician also? Or? No, no, no. He had a guitar on the wall. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my guitar that's just in the corner of my bedroom. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's an image thing. Yes, exactly. I thought, well, why doesn't he play that? So did you have support through your parents uh, musically? Um, I, I did. I don't think they ever 
took it seriously enough to be scared of it. Uh, they just figured it was a phase that I would find my way through, oh. as probably most parents do. And and um, and then in the second year at City College in Pasadena, I realized that I was spending more time studying things to fall back on <laughs> than doing the thing I really wanted to do. So I needed to make that, looking back, and I realized I needed to make that commitment to that part of myself and that career and do the things that I needed to do to get heard and seen. So how, how did that happen for you? It's not the easiest business in the world to get into. Um, you know, um, I always figured music was a high turnover business, especially rock and roll. Yeah. And that if I just kept writing and kept singing and sang for everybody I could, sooner or later I'd get my turn. And it kind of worked out that way. You know, the, I had been living in East L.A. in a $65 a month, half a duplex in Lincoln Heights. I made $100 a week as a songwriter for uh, ABC Wingate. And so that was my living for a while, and I just wrote. Wow. And um, and then we would sing. We would get together on weekends and find other players and singers and trade tunes. And one thing led to another. I met the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and from there I met Jimmy Messina, and here we are. So it, it's interesting that you said that you made a living originally as a songwriter. Right, so there's a differentiation between being a musician and a songwriter. Some are one well, or the other. Yeah, being a performing recording musician and being a songwriter. There were some great songwriters over the years that were not necessarily performers. So when did you become or, or know that, knew that you had a talent in songwriting? Because obviously you were pretty young and got hired by TV studios at that time to, to write music for them. Yeah. So you must have had a talent pretty early on or a knack for writing music. Yeah, I, I found I found that knack as I was taking guitar lessons from the big brother, a buddy of mine, lived uh, on another block in Alhambra. It's probably, what, um, sophomore in high school. And, um, and as I was taking guitar lessons, I just automatically started writing songs. And I saw that things were coming out of me, so to speak, that seemed beyond the intellect. Um, so there were a spiritual quality to it right from the beginning? Well, I, I wouldn't have interpreted it that way back then. Yeah. But it was every time that I would write a good song, and, and probably at that time I thought everything I was doing was a good song. <laughs> uh, every time I, I would sit back and look at it and go, wow, did I do that? Well, how did that happen? Right. And and then gradually over the years, I began to see that there was a sense of music moving through me and that I became much more of an instrument for that music than an actual creator of that music. Okay. It's a co-creation. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's a spiritual quality to it. Uh, I don't know any other way to hold it. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds very accurate and um, yeah. it's it's good to give credit where credit is due, yeah. right? Yeah, you have to. <laughs> Yeah. So, so if you you had this natural knack, the spirit, as you were saying, talking or speaking through you, in terms of your music, well, it, let me just interrupt you. Sure, I, I could interpret that also as my subconscious speaking okay. through me, especially since we're in this forum today. Um, that I found over the years that my music, or that part of me that wrote my music, knew what I was doing before I did. 
and knew what was coming and knew what uh, I should be doing before I consciously was aware of it. A good example of that is a divorce, where I'm suddenly writing divorce songs and I'm asking myself, is this actually happening? Hmm. It's like, where'd this come from? And that was prior to... Oh. Prior to a year before actually becoming really? aware that that the end was nigh. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, so it must have come a big surprise when all of a sudden you realized that you were writing about the future oh, yeah. of your life. It comes as a surprise like walking out your door and having somebody punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a good surprise. You don't, you don't see it coming. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I wanted to get on to that about the commercialization of, of music. And, and I don't know if you saw yourself at that point being a musical artist or an artist, songwriting artist at that point, and then having to do it for work. Um, did, at, at that point, because, you know, I have artist friends that talk about how doing it for themselves is different than doing it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I wasn't writing... Like, like a visual artist might do a piece on commission. Mm-hmm. I wasn't writing on commission. I was always writing for myself a couple of times. I would try to write for other people, but I was a miserable failure at that. I could, just couldn't quite capture what I thought those other artists wanted. And here I am. I'm talking at 18, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At 17, I'm, I'm writing something. I wrote Danny's song in House of Pooh Corner at 17. Wow. wow. So, you know, I was writing songs that were making people go, wow. Yeah. At an early age. And um, I didn't know exactly what to do with them. Um, but, yeah, so the, what you were getting about, about commercialization was not really a factor because it was always for me. And even when I was writing for the publishing company, Wingate, my friend at Wingate, Bob Todd, said, you should be writing for yourself. He said, the only person who can sing these songs is you. Is you. Huh. So he encouraged you to uh, to start to... Encouraged me to, to move into recording. He hooked me up with a group called Gator Creek. Uh-huh. And I sang my first version of Danny's song for Gator Creek and um, on Mercury. And then uh, it wasn't long after that that I met Messina. What age or, or what period uh, um, in your professional development did you realize... I can do this for a living and, and maybe this is going to be sustainable and maybe I don't, maybe this isn't the backup plan. Maybe this is the plan for well, me. Well, my son, my oldest boy Crosby here in town, he's, he teases me that I taught him that don't have a backup plan. And I must've taught him that along the way. I don't recall it, <laughs> but, but I said, if you, you heard really, it from, so you heard it at some point, right? If you yeah. really want to succeed at something and your heart is into it, and that's a big if, um, don't have you don't have a backup plan. You commit to it, and I think your chances of making it successful, whatever it is, are much better. And I think, from my point of view, you've got to love what you're doing, because then it's never really work. And then just commit to it. Dana and I talk about um, not only with other guests, but we talk about in a, in a book that we're authoring right now the fear of success and the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there, there are two different, two different things. And, and, and I'm assuming that you understand it. Um, either one of those. Um, and so was there, was there a point in your career where 
you had the fear of success or fear of failure at all? Not consciously. Okay. Um, I think being a performing artist was always my dream. You know, coming from being like a nine-year-old imitating Elvis Presley or whatever. It's, it was just that thing that I wanted to do. Sounds like it was really very much a part of who you are as a person. Yeah. From I think, a really young, I think I mean, it's nine really, years old. That's pretty good. That's I mean, an essential yeah. part of, of who I was. So um, it was natural that it just unfolded the way that it did. It yeah. Then I'm just, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other, you know, learning to write a song. I tried to write my first song probably as a 10 year old. Wow. And, um, I don't remember whether I, I got anywhere, but that was the thing that was on my mind. I tried to form my first band when I was in sixth grade. Hmm. Yeah, so that's remarkable, like, actually. So it's like some spirit that's going, we're going over here, and yeah. you're going to bring your body with us. Was it difficult to have a partner in your career at that point when Jim Messina became, uh, when you guys joined up together? You know, I it wasn't, uh, at least initially. Okay. Um, that, for me... Um, I, I've been very malleable in that way. I, I really consider myself to be a um, collaborator. Um, I did my early writing alone, but I think you have to earn your wings before somebody's going to let you in the living room to write with them. Mm-hmm. So I needed uh, Danny Song, House of Pooh Corner era, to say, yeah, these, this is my credentials. I can do this. Um, but, um, but I also found that... Um, like when I wrote with Mike McDonald, uh, Michael has a very clear sense of who he is and what he does. And if you listen to his music, you get, this is quintessentially Michael every time. So to collaborate with Michael, I had to take on an aspect of who he was. So I'm walking in the door being a reflection of who I think he is. So I'm not trying to impose Kenny Loggins on Mike McDonald. I'm trying to enhance the thing that is Mike McDonald. Um, so as he's singing a melody and when he stops, my imagination goes, what would Michael do? What, what do I hear him doing in this section? And then I sing that. It's usually a cappella mm-hmm. back to him. I say, what if, the, what if we do this, this, what chord do you hear? I'll try this chord. And then we're off into the next section. So I'm sort of, and I'm taking notes and Michael's the kind of guy that hypnotizes himself when we're writing. So he doesn't remember what he's just done. So I had to have a cassette machine and record everything he did and everything we did. So that then the next day I would go through all those tapes and go, this part's really great. This part's really great. And then here we're searching for an hour. And then, oh, then we hit that thing. And I put it all together. I take it back to him and say, here's what we got so far. And then we, we finish it. So do you think your intuition was a big part of how you were able to um, do what you just described in terms of feeling what the other person needed from you in a way? Empathy or intuition? Yeah. I think. Maybe both? It's an empathetic thing. I think it's, yeah, it's both. It's an intuitive thing. The intuition, I think, comes in when I hear him, the first time I heard him on a Doobie Brothers record said, I got to write with that guy. There's a part Uh of me that goes, go there. So you just could feel the, the the need to connect with him. Yeah, and then when we're in a writing situation, it's part empathy and part my own spirit that that even though I think I'm imitating or reflecting Mike McDonald, I'm really doing me. This is how I hear that, you know. So I'm not completely. 
a chameleon. I'm not mm-hmm. completely absorbed in the col- but collaboration requires two people unashamedly showing up to be a hundred percent in the room. Not I don't want to impose my thing onto you. My thing will come with me. You know, I need to stay open to what's what's being done. And it sounds like you really enjoyed the connection. Yeah, I, I, when I was in like seventh grade, I read a book about George S. Kaufman. Do you know who that was? He was, the title of the book was The Great Collaborator. And he created the Marx Brothers. That's okay, right. right. Knew, he I wrote a name. lot of yeah. Broadway plays from that era. Right, right. And he was the guy that taught Groucho Marx how to walk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, I'd seen some Marx Brothers stuff, but I just picked this book up out of nowhere. And to this day, I remember it. Yeah. I remember that a long time ago. element of, of, I'd probably never even heard the word collaboration before I read that book. And you were quite young when you read it. Yeah. It stayed with me. Which, uh, which one of you guys were, was in Santa Barbara first, Messina, you or McDonald? Me. You were here first and brought everybody else with you, right? Yeah, because that, I, that I, exactly. I, I remember when everybody was living here. Yeah, and Santa Barbara is a force field all its own. It's a, people find it. Uh, yeah. um, is there an era in, in your musical career um, that stands out to you more than any other eras? Um, you know, I just finished writing my uh, uh, autobiography. And um, then I, 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 in going through all the past, and I, I was afraid to write one because I was pretty sure I didn't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> but gradually, you know, doing homework and calling up old friends uh-huh. and, you know, interviewing road managers and musicians, I pieced together these things and then memories start to come. Um, that I've been lucky that there have been like a number of what my collaborator called acts in my career, like a three act or four act career. You know the the mm-hmm. new the new Top Gun and right. the rebirth of 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 Maverick has brought another era into my career. So when I first started writing and recording with Messina in '71. My business manager said, well, you'll probably have two or three good years, so let's be careful how you spend, and let's build up some, you know, financial resources for you for when this is over. And Boy, that's faith. It, you, got three, you got three good years in you. Well, yeah. it was pop music back then. Yeah, at then. that time, right. You're lucky right. if you get three good years. Yeah. And it just kind of kept going. How long were you guys together? Loggins and Messina had six years, right, from seventy-one to seventy-six, okay. and then and then I went solo, and then the next thing I had was a tour with Fleetwood Mac, which took me into a duet with Stevie Nicks, oh, okay. and that launched my solo career, right, and that's kind of still going, but then when all the solo careers were all all that was starting to fade when disco came in, right, and then I did an end run again, Grace, not not an intellectual G. I think I should write for movies. It just landed in my lap wow. that I did an end run around disco. 
So, so Donna Summer didn't come up in your intuition that she'd be a good person to collaborate with, huh? It's Kenny funny. Loggins and Donna Summer? It's funny you should say that. I actually did. Oh, did you? Attempt a collaboration with her. We didn't get any music from it. Uh, you must have been vibing me right now or something. Yeah. Yeah. I came up with Donna Summer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the only disco person I could remember at this exactly. point in my life. I That's toured hysterical. with Nal Rogers for a while. Okay. Chic. Uh huh. Right. I remember. Right. Yeah. And he, he, in his book, he claims to have invented disco. <laughs> and uh, he's an interesting character. You should get him up here sometime. Uh, You'll need four hours for him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everybody's a legend in their own mind sometimes, right? right? So, um, so your autobiography that you've been writing, yeah. um, what did you learn from writing that about yourself? Yeah, it, it, uh, writing the autobiography is like uh, therapy and a deposition all rolled into one. <laughs> <laughs> both, both unpleasant at certain you, times. Or... I learned certain things about my mother that I was not aware of. I caught strong pictures of my relationship with my father and how solid that was and how that served me throughout my life. Um, I think fathers are not given the credit that they need or deserve because the mother is so very, very important in the formative years of, of mm -hmm. any child. But the father comes through to teach a level of self-confidence in the world that the mother is more the building of the inner world mm -hmm. and the father is the outer world. And my father was really good at that. You know, just, he had a way about him that was easy. He was, his, his hero was Bing Crosby. Okay. So he smoked a pipe and he had that sort of cavalier kind of attitude. And he was my track coach in high school. And taught me basketball and baseball and all the good stuff. We, we moved from Seattle to California because he knew he wanted to raise his kids outside. Hmm. And, and did your parents live long enough to see your success in the music yeah, business? Yeah, they, good. they saw the L&M years for sure. And I wrote uh, Whenever I Call You... Was it? Yeah, whenever, I think I wrote Whenever I Call You Friends. Some That's of that lyric Stevie was, Nicks, about, right? was about that, yeah. It was about their relationship. So we oh, no, heart to heart, sorry. Heart to heart, okay. Yeah. So we started the podcast talking about uh, about how 2023 is, is going to be a fairly significant year. Not that you've had not had other significant years in your career, but this is a, a fairly significant year for you because you're stepping away from, uh, I, don't, I know you're stepping away from touring. That's just, that's primarily it. Yeah, and so... We want to talk a little bit about that because I don't know how many, and I don't want to, to misstate it, but how many decades that you've been on the road consistently other than COVID years or other years to have kids and things like that. But yeah. it's, it's been probably a great portion of your adult and professional life. Yeah. And so how are you, how are you feeling right now knowing that this is, this is it in front of a crowd? It's what we're calling the tour. This is it. This is it. <laughs> is that is what it's called? Really? Yeah. There was a song I think that you did. It was yeah, called "This Is something It." But, about yeah, that. Something about yeah. Something like that. And uh, yeah, no, I'm of two minds on that. You know, part of me is is feels very done with the road, and you know, I just turned seventy five this year. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, you still look stellar. I'm. I feel pretty damn good too. And in my gal and I play a lot of pickleball together. And um, that, that's the new secret now. Two hours, two and a half hours at a crack, you know, so that's a lot of lateral. That is, that's a <laughs> lot of time on your legs moving around. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, so it's not, you know, I thought about it. Once we really committed to, we meaning me and my team, committed to having this be the last year on the road, I, the big question was, well, you can still really sing really well and you can still move around and why quit now? And I thought, well, now the question is, do we quit at the top or do we quit at the bottom? Who, who raised that question? Oh, friends of mine. Oh, friends, okay. Yeah. Just, you know, geez, you know, why stop touring if you can still do that and make money and still pitch your high notes? And, but I feel like, I just feel like now's the time. I, I have more things that I want to do that don't involve touring. You know, uh, I have five kids. I have three grandkids with one more on the way. Um, and that's going to just keep growing. And I'm in a relatively new relationship, five years now. We want to travel together. We want to be together. And I want to see my kids and my grandkids. So maybe it's time to move to the next phase. And right. that's where we left off this morning. So it doesn't sound like it was a, a difficult decision for you to arrive at, that, that probably that it's been coming on for some time and you've given it great consternation and, and, and you know deep what, thought. You know what really galvanized the idea was 2020. Uh, so COVID did it to you, COVID huh? did it. I, I really enjoyed not having to go anywhere. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I loved being home. We got e-bikes. Uh-huh. We'd cruise around Santa Barbara when there were no cars out there. I know, it was awesome. It was amazing. And, and every day we'd wake up early and say, what do you want to do today? Let's, let's go out and do something. And there was no time thing. And I just loved it. You know, I know I'm in a minority on that, but you know, for me, my life has been so out in the public and so extroverted and I'm not an extrovert. I'm not actually an, I mean, there's probably a term for that. I'm pretty much of an introverted guy who had to learn how to be an extrovert right. to succeed at my work. So, um, giving, giving up touring is giving up part of your identity in a certain way. Right on. Do you, do you feel any sadness or any sort of, uh, um, do you feel the loss of that? Yes. And, and how do you deal with, with that loss? How well, do you? For starters, one has to accept the fact that there's going to be loss. There's going to be right. grief. Right. There's, there's a process that I have to go through in order to let that part of my personal identity go. Right. It'll never fully be gone. I suspect, but I know that each show will be a part of the grieving process. Do you, do you find yourself sometimes crying um, in that feeling? I cry over the dumbest shit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So do I. (laughs) You know, it's like, I find, I find that commercials on TV will make me cry. Okay. You know, I remember seeing my dad cry over a dog food commercial when I was a kid and I thought, Boy, he's holding a lot in. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and now I am him. Yeah, now you're him. <laughs> and, and, but I know what I'm holding in. I I'm hold, I'm, have to be in the process of letting this part of my career go. Right. You know, I, I always crack up when I think of show business people as people, as entities that people emulate. Because anyone who needs the whole world to applaud for you is probably not the most secure person. No, I <laughs> that's they true. more than likely not. And and you really need to know how they're voting and what they're doing. I don't know. It's like, well, 
we don't really know what's making showbiz people run. And I'd be one of them. And I was talking to, um, I was talking to one of my kids about that the other day, that this thing that has kept me running. I, I'm really not sure to this day exactly why. And a part of it is that I think it's my spirit that has wanted to do this. When I first met Jimmy Messina, uh, he told me he'd been on the road for six years wow. already. And I said, wow, I can't imagine being on the road that long. Hmm. And now it's been 50-some. You know, there have been years where I've taken off for the birth of a child or a special period of my life that required that. But it's been a lot of road. Is there something in this last tour that, that you want to do or want to cement in your legacy at all? Um, or just going to go out there and play your music and well, let I'm it ride? Well, I've been working on the set list. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to try to encompass the whole career, but I can't play that long. <laughs> there's, there's a lot That's of too much. You've had, you've you had a lot of decades. That'd be that'd be a long concert. It'd be yeah. a long concert. You know, I'm going to try and keep it under two hours. Okay. But I, I touch into a little L and M. I touch into the Celebrate Me Home era, uh-huh. on through the career into the movies, and then I I promised my fans publicly that I would do deep cuts, mm-hmm. you know, so I'll go in a little deeper and do things that, uh, that I haven't necessarily let myself do very often. Like the song, like keep the fire, which mm-hmm. is really well known, but I almost never performed it cause it's difficult, but I have a great band this year. So, and a lot of good singers with me. So we'll be able to do those heavy vocal tunes too. Have you thought about the last show? Yeah. I don't know where your last stop is on the tour, but... Take a guess. Santa Barbara? Is it Santa Barbara? Yeah. 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 Good for you. Yeah. County Bowl? County Bowl. So have you thought about that, about what it's going to be like and... Yeah. And what you may want to get out of it and looking around and walking off stage for the last time? Not ready to go there. You're not going there. <laughs> not that stage, at least. Yeah. Okay. Walking off the tour stage for the last time. Um, yeah. I've been thinking more about what what kind of show that should be, and um, and what to put in the show. So it's still I'm still forming it in my head, um, and there are guests. I would love for Michael McDonald to come join me on stage. We can do a few of the tunes we wrote mm-hmm. together. What a fool believes this is it, heart to heart. Um, I'm not sure where to go from there. I think it's, it's forming. There's time. It won't be until November. So, Kenny, I would imagine when you're on stage performing that you must get an incredible f- endorphin rush mm-hmm. from that feeling of really connecting with so many people and, and watching everybody really enjoying what it is that you're bringing to them. Yeah. Um, I'm and assuming the truth that, is there's nothing like it. Yeah, I was assuming that it's just no. the most amazing feeling because when I watch people form, I think, wow, that's got to feel so good. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you have ideas about how you might be able to generate some of that kind of feeling once you stop touring? Well, yeah, an idea that came to me um, during the response to the uh, mudslides here in Montecito when I was approached by some of the local kids who I'd been working with as a mentor um, to help create a show to raise money for first responders. Uh. 
And in the process, I discovered that I loved working with teenagers who would actually listen to me. Oh, there you <laughs> As go. As opposed to my own. You actually <laughs> found some? You actually found some? <laughs> so I found Good some. Good for you. I don't know if that'll continue yeah. or not. but That's you know. a brilliant solution. You know, I, I've enjoyed that also in my work with yeah. teenagers, having them actually be interested in what I might yeah, have the, to say. Yeah, the, the, they look at you and listen <laughs> as if, as if you have something to say. Yeah, like my kids rolling their eyes. As long right? as you're not their, as long as you're not their parent. That's right. Listen to exactly. Me. Right. Yeah, and you know, and my kids deal with the shadow, my shadow, mm-hmm. and that's intimidating and a problem as has been. But um, that said, working with youth, we were we were. I'd mentioned this book I was reading uh, when I first got here um, called uh, "From Strength to Strength." Mm-hmm. And the idea is that as we get older, our brains change and we become more the depository of information versus the creators of information. And not that we can't create something. Some of us do continue to go on into that. And, then, and the ones that do win a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> but, but those are fewer numbers. And that, so that reason, the men, therefore, mentorship becomes more viable, more logical, because I know a shitload about making music and mm-hmm. making records and the business. And, and I'm kind of okay with, you know, talking to young people who I feel maybe are headed there. I'll get, we were talking about intuition a minute ago, you know, get an intuitive on somebody. I think this person's really headed for show business in one way or another. And, um, and I'd love to help. You've also been incredibly active in the community here in terms of being really a generous person with certain organizations. How did that start for you? That I think you're talking about unity, right? Yes, and the shelter box. I I, I know that you. Oh, but shelter box is I'm more a donor than a oh, okay. than a founder. Okay. Except um, I did see a clip of Kenny recently. I think there was a shelter box fundraiser, and I was thinking about this when yeah, he yeah. said, "Well, people said you shouldn't quit because you still hit the high notes," and I saw. Um, somebody had po- posted a snippet on the, from their iPhone of you singing. I'm like, God, he still got it. <laughs> yeah, so I probably would have been one of those people saying, no, man, you got a couple keep, more keep, years to get keep going, keep Kenny. Keep going, man. Don't Sinatra, quit now. Don't quit now. Didn't Sinatra die on stage? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I don't think he did. So sorry, I didn't. I had perfect yeah. time to interject that. But. Definitely derailed the conversation. Sorry, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I'm just curious about uh, your uh, philanthropic... Oh, right. Yeah, that... I got into Unity when it was called the Council of Christmas Cheer. Right. In the either, I think, late 70s. And when I met Barbara Tellison, who was running the council at that time. And uh, I had been, each Christmas, I had been upping the ante. I started off by going to a a local club and asking the owner to make entrance into the club that night be a toy and we would gather all these toys and then I would take them to toys for tots and then one thing led to another I did a couple clubs one Christmas season and then I decided that I would do some grandstandy thing and have two bands alternating between all the clubs in town Mm -hmm. and I would try to play every performance venue in town on one night I didn't get out of there till like one in the morning <laughs> and Barbara came to me and said, do you know where the money goes when you do this stuff? Do you follow the money? Do you follow the toys? And I said, no, honestly, I, I don't. I, I leave that to others. 
And she said, well, let me show you something. And she showed me what she was doing with the Council of Christmas Cheer, the, the um, storage, what do you call those things, this, uh, like a big trailer. Right. The metal yeah, trailer. Yeah, the big storage trailers, yeah. Yeah, and, and they were working out of one storage trailer at the time. And I thought, this is exactly what I was hoping for. It's an organization that feeds mm-hmm. clothing, uh, books and toys for children, it was pretty much a one-stop shopping thing for me. And I thought, I want to help develop this. So I took the idea to Bob Smith at KEYT. Mm-hmm. And Bob said, I love it. Let's do a telethon. And from that point on, it just grew. So then I found myself just stuck in this <laughs> this <laughs> thing that I'd created. And I said, okay, I might as well make the best of it. And I got to sure. show up and see what happens. I mean, it has become synonymous with Kenny Loggins, right? Christmas Unity and the Unity Shop and, and Kenny Loggins are synonymous together, at least in this town. If you, yeah. you've been here long enough and, and either have seen the telethon or Brad participated. Paisley, Brad Paisley moved well, here. That's true. He's been involved in it now. he took Unity, copied it, and took it to Nashville. Oh, did he? Okay. He's got a version of it in Nashville. Oh, that's now. fantastic. And I think Jeff Bridges may have been involved at one time Jeff, as well. You know, Michael Douglas, Jeff Michael, Bridges, right. pretty much all the big names that come through town. I want to go back. We got away from the transition thing um, a little bit because something that that we were talking about before we started recording, which I think is important to mention here, is that you have this group of other professionals that are kind of in a very similar time in their lives as you are right now in terms of being very successful in whatever they did in in life and, and now are transitioning into the next part of their life and, right. and having this support group, um, I think has been not only helpful for you, but it's very interesting of, of what you guys have been talking about. Yeah. So basically this, this book I told you about, um, from strength to strength, that the, the key, it's more difficult for people, people, men or women to transition from positions of high success or lives of high success into that, let's say 60 something and on, mm-hmm. you know, where you find you're either retired or pushed out of your work or, or just ready to move into another phase of your life and you don't, don't know what it's going to be. And the book sort of helped me define those areas that I feel drawn to, mentorship being one of the primary ones because I get to still play in music I end up writing, I've written a couple songs with teenage writers that are pretty damn good. And it's like, I get the rush again. It's like, wow, this is, I remember I wrote with uh, um, the Sherman brothers Mm -hmm. who were, who wrote the Mary Poppins music. They wrote everything from Davy Crockett on through with, with the Disney organization. And I got to write for the Tigger movie, a woman working in the music division of Disney named Bambi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> go go, fig, go figure right yeah go figure i think she was born for the job yeah i was gonna say she thought wait a minute the sherman brothers wrote the original winnie the pooh movie music but kenny loggins wrote the winnie the pooh song so let's get them together to write music for the tigger movie wow and so we came together uh, uh saw a screening of the tigger movie we wrote together and these were two gentlemen one of which was in his 80s the other was probably late 70s. When, when I saw a documentary on the Sherman Brothers, you would have never have thought they were songwriters just by their appearance and, were, and that. They it were was, Tin Pan Alley, old school. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when we saw the Tigger movie and, and I had signed on to sing the theme to this movie, Whatever We Write, and 
Richard Sherman goes to the piano and, and starts going, do me, do me, do me, do me, do me, do me. I'm Tigger, I'm Tigger, I'm Bunny, Bunsy, Tigger. And I said, you know, um, I'm probably not going to be able to sing that. <laughs> yeah, let's stop right here. Let's stop yeah. here and start over. So he turns to me and says, well, what would you do? So i just seen the movie. I don't like pop songs out like that. You know, mm -hmm. like, I want to sit with it, write ideas down. But I'd just seen... It was not Sleepless in Seattle, but it was one of those movies from that era where Harry Nielsen's music was the theme music to the mm -hmm. movie. And I thought, well, something like a, a Nielsen song. So mm -hmm. I just sort of made this thing up in the spur of the moment that became the verse. And we just worked it. And, and Richard turns to me and goes, you know, you're good. You're really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. But the... The reason I brought this story up was because after we finished the song, Robert has given me a ride back to my car. And he says, and I said to him, you know, you're 82, man. Have you thought about retiring? And he said, are you kidding? Where else can I get a rush like this? Right. And yeah. I thought, yeah, well, that's part of what I love is when I write with young writers and I see that thing happen, that creativity just kind of burst and something new and different that I never would have thought of, but that I can help form and shape is a rush. So I love doing that. So when you meet with your friends, are they as active in sort of mentoring people in their professions as you no, are? No, well, um, but the, in their world, it's not mentoring. It's, oh. it's um, what's it called? A, not advisor. It's called, you know, I'm a, Consultant. Well, consultant. Consultant right. or coaching in that way? Or coaching, but coaching, yeah. more like uh, consulting younger versions of what they used to do. Gotcha. As long as that technology hasn't stolen it away. Right. And so, how, go ahead. I'm just curious about how often you guys get together to talk. It's a, it's a men's group of five guys. We try and get together at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. Oh, that's cool. And, and they are they supporting you in your transition? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, we support each other. We, the purpose of the men's group is to have conversations that men don't normally have. That's to the tell the truth. podcast. And yeah. To bust each, <laughs> yeah. And to bust each other on our bullshit. O old right. guys aren't supposed to be vulnerable. Right. Absolutely. Right? And, and have those conversations. You're supposed to talk sports and women and booze still, right? Football. Football. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. supposed to talk about transitions well, in life and how what, it's making you is feel. Is there more to life than that? I, I apparently there is. I've uh, I've you I've gone a little bit deeper be, be, besides the common yeah. life. But. I have great conversations uh, with my twenty nine year old Luke. We have conversations that are like the deepest therapy, and it's reciprocal. I listen as much as I speak, more probably, and in that way, um, we go in so deep with each other that one day I said, you know, we should do a podcast. Right. And just be father son, talking about the shit that matters in our lives. Sorry about the profanity, but I've in rock and roll my whole life, and oh, that's, that's fine. Just yeah, how that's we all right. We're we're all about transparency and yeah. speaking your truth here. So yeah. Anyway, so so let's talk about that a little bit. So I mean, Luke's twenty nine, right, at this point, and and he's psychologically sophisticated and has some formal training in that area as well. Have you guys always had that relationship, though? Have you been always, you know... Well, always meaning since he moved out of his parental home and, and made his way into college. And 
I think, I think really our conversations, the deepest conversations happened after he graduated from UC Davis. Mm. And then he I had a little bit more perspective of, in yeah, life at that he'd point. He'd been away from home a while. And, um, but he is that guy. He goes in deep automatically. So I'm not worried about him. That's, you know, wherever he goes, he's going to confront yeah, he'll himself. Figure, he'll figure it out. Yeah. So I didn't, when I mentioned about you in, in your last concert at the, at the County Bowl and walking off in your last memories, I didn't want to say that you're taking your guitar and going home and never coming back out again. Yeah. And you've talked about, you know, you, you've written this autobiography or still writing this autobiography. You're doing this mentoring and, and fellowship thing with young artists you're going to continue in music in, in some way. I mean, if, if, if a, a movie comes calling again, a, a TV comes calling again, oh, absolutely. Yeah, if no. there's another artist that God can, I'd love for you to come to Austin and play a couple songs with me on stage. Would you do it's something entirely like possible? Yeah. Okay. And benefits, you know, here and there, you'll still continue with unity shop here in Santa Barbara. And, oh yeah. 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 I want to, I want to keep it alive. You know, it's, it's, been difficult making the transition from when Barbara passed away right. two years ago now, and and they're doing a great job. She was quite a driving force, wasn't she? Yeah, for her, she was a her one small man stature, band. but yeah. yeah, was like nine feet tall. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. but yeah, there, there's things I still want to do, and um, but when you travel for a living, one of the you asked me about uh, awarenesses from writing the book. Mm -hmm. One of the things mm -hmm. I realized was that I was just like my dad. I'm a traveling salesman. Um, you, you, the difference is where he would sell the product he was given by the company. I created my product, and then I would go out on the road, door to door, and and sell, sell it. it. Yeah. And so my life has been away from home much of the time. So. It's ironic that the guy who wrote Celebrate Me Home doesn't spend much time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's going to change a little bit in 2024, I'm yeah. imagining, right? Uh, yeah, I certainly to, hope so. I don't know. How many how many dates do you have on this tour? Almost 40. That's well, a lot. That's so, a lot. That's for, a lot. For an old guy. <laughs> wow. Is there anything, Kenny, in the back of your mind that you've never had time to pursue that you're just sort of wondering if now might be the time? Well, you know, when you start to consider some version of retirement, you definitely, one definitely mulls those things over. Mm -hmm. What I loved to do early on in my career was wood carving. Oh. And then okay. I plunged a knife into my left hand. Oh, dear. that's not good for and a musician. Gave, no. the, gave the hobby up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel like I had a talent for it. So, so probably some form of visual art would be good thing emotionally i have to stay active physically you know so i definitely will play pickleball as long as i can and whatever else comes along travel do you seek the counsel of other artists that have gone through the transition good idea let's send this show out <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the next mentoring yeah. thing you're going to do is yes. the uh the other ones that are on the sunlighting of their career and trying to figure out what's next. It, it doesn't yeah. seem like that happens anymore though. You know, these, these acts that have been around for forever seem to be either resurrected or, you know, with these new venues and Chumash and, and all these other things that yeah. things like everybody's still going and uh, Mick Jagger seems like he's 150 and, but on stage he's like 30 still. Keith Richard passed away and he's still doing it. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best way times, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's still doing it. He's still out there. It's not, even, just, a, it's not they, even a hologram of they him. They prop up his body and, yeah. and he plays. It's like Weekend at Bernie's, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> they just bring, bring him out for the concert there. Yeah. Uh, but no, you didn't really, you didn't talk to, to people in the industry and said, how did you do it and how did it feel and... What what what, no. what did you miss? No, it was no. it was your I'm, own decision. I'm inventing my own wheel. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure that might be a good idea. Like we'd have to watch and see. You know, uh, Ram Dass wrote a good book about that tail end of the life. Um, there's information out there, but not a lot. You know, uh, especially for men, not a lot. So, what do you fear? Do you have any fears? Would you we look at the fears. time? <laughs> I think I have to go now. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it been an hour already? <laughs> right. Really? You should have turned it on ahead of time. Yeah. What do I fear? Um, loneliness. Yeah. I fear growing away from or having my family grow away from me. I think that family becomes more and more important as we get older. And those things that we did in our life that sabotaged that um, become bigger regrets. And um, Do you have a process of making amends to the people that you feel that you might have hurt in some way? Who would they be? Well, <laughs> I'm assuming that it might be family members. It's an old manager, I'm sure of. <laughs> okay. I um, never thought he'd last till 75. Yeah. Um. No, I'm good with my family members right yeah, now. Okay. I feel like we're, we're doing really well. That's really important. And, um, you know, the hardest thing that I find in my life now is dropping um, the fears of rerunning stupid mistakes. Things um, you regret from the past? Like, like um, well, um, relationships like marriages that didn't go well for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely try to make sure that I'm on good speaking terms with my exes. And uh, I just actually have, have had an amazing experience reconnecting with my 25-year-old. Um, Hannah has... Um, I'll have to ask your permission after we do this, but I'll give it to you now. And if we can use it, it's good stuff. Yeah, please. Um, my, my daughter has transitioned into being a man, into being a boy, 25-year-old man. Okay. And in the process of that transition, we've re-met in a new way, and she, he, is completely different. Wow. There's just a level of maturity and groundedness and joy that I never saw in Hana. And it's stunning. Was there a metamorphosis over time? I'll let you I'll let you have a second here. Thank you. But no, I really appreciate you your honesty and, and vulnerability on, on that because I think it's a, a very worthwhile and in um, common topic now, especially with the youth of, of today. And or you could maybe pick it up for especially you do on that particular topic because there's a lot of judgment 
Oh, God. When she sent me her first song that she had written since starting Testosterone, I didn't know about it. And I heard it in her voice. Did she, I don't mean to interrupt your train of thought here, but was she worried about your judgment and then not coming to you at all? Or did, and I want to say that you, did you have a good relationship with her beforehand at all? Or was it? We had a very difficult relationship. Very difficult. And she confessed to me two weeks ago that she had a habit of judging everything I said and finding fault with everything I was. So the transition has helped her feel safer and closer to you? Dramatically. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's great. It's like um, some part of her was let out of jail. And what I heard in that song was that even though the voice was lower, it was still her. So it sounds like you're incredibly proud of her and and, uh, feel really grateful for the connection that's developing. I am because, you know, one of the things I've tried to teach my kids is to follow your heart. And she's the most courageous of them all. Is she your only daughter? Or he is the most courageous. Yeah, sorry. Is he your only... well, it was. Well, it's a hard question to I ask. Told, I, I, told yeah, right. I know, it's a hard pronoun to deal with. Yeah. I, I, I told her, him, recently, I'll just say him from now on for the yeah, sake sure, of this please. dialogue. Yeah, I'm sorry for that, mystery. Um I said, I, I haven't lost a daughter, I've gained a son. Hmm. Which is the old thing that people would say at weddings. Right, right. But we both cracked up because it's way more appropriate <laughs> Now it's made more real. Well, and she's wedded to herself, maybe for the first to himself for the first time. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a there's a there's a different. level of like I said. There's there's a center there. There's somebody there now right. that was never there before, and he's amazing. And I have this incredibly rich, honest. I mean, there's nothing I'm afraid of saying now. I can be myself, and he's totally there with me and he responds 110 percent back and because of that level of honesty we now have a a love awareness of our love for each other that we've never had before so yeah well all the more reason to spend time with your family right i'm sorry all the more reason to spend time with your family yeah it's yeah absolutely this is one more door opening that that i definitely don't want to let close. Yeah. You know, I, I, I enjoy our conversations just like I enjoy with Luke and just like my older three there, each one of them has something that I cherish. So as you were having children, um, obviously they were aware of who their dad was and their dad being in the limelight, well-known things mm-hmm. like that. Did you did you ever think as the father about the pressure that they were? And I know Crosby had a musical career for a period of time, or still yeah. plays and um, like that. But were you aware of the pressure that that was placed on them? I don't think I don't think it's possible for the <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think it's possible for a father who has been successful. I'll just say in in the music business to really understand what it's like to be a son or a daughter. 
but especially a son because the male to male transition has been, you know, James Taylor's son is amazing. Right. Sting's son is amazing. Also, I, I coincidentally, a transitioned um, child. Sting's son was his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, it's not possible for us to really grok what that must feel like to be in the shadow of someone famous. He's so drawn to music. He plays great guitar. He writes great songs. But not that nobody's going to really take him seriously because maybe he's too much like me or or maybe it's just the name is the problem. Did you ever did you ever try to to keep them away from the show business side at all and and to try and normalize the growing up and the family life and when he first told me that he was going to go into music business, I said, you know, there are other fields of show business that might be easier for you. You know, I thought that he would be really good on camera. <clears throat> but that's where he wanted to go. But again, there I have theories about why that happened in that way that are for another show or another time, if. But, um, yeah, no, it's... I watched him struggle at it. He he really made a, a a commitment to making a go of it, and then he gave up. I think at twenty nine to build a life here, and he's got a successful IT business here. So you had mentioned when we we're talking about the importance of community and the importance of family, is especially as we get older. And especially as we go through these transitions in, in life, whether that's career or other life transitions, to have those people around you. Um, you talked about being in a fairly new, even you no know, five years, I guess, is fairly new of, of relationships. And so we, we, I know we weren't going to really talk about relationships per se, wanna, <coughs> but. Um, was that a, what was that, a printer or something? Yeah, <laughs> that's your dog having dreams. Kenny, Is that him? Ken, Kenny has <laughs> Kenny has his dog Rocket uh, in, in the room with us, and I think Rocket uh, has has been bored to death by our talk <laughs> and is now snoring on the floor. He's dreaming. He is dreaming on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's having his own dreams at the moment. Um, but importance of having a relationship and what you've learned about relationships throughout your your life of, of being married and, and having relationships and, and how you've woven in relationships into your music. And that's a loaded question, I know. Uh, that was a lot. Uh, yeah, focus me a little more on but that. But again, going back to the importance of having community and importance of family, as, especially as you get older mm-hmm. um, in there. Um, Probably at this point, you're, you've gone through relationships now that you probably know yourself a lot better. And especially after you've written an autobiography, you know yourself a lot better yeah, now, really. right? Um, and so how are you doing this relationship, your new relationship now, different than you've done in the past, is what I'll ask. Um, or maybe you're not doing it different than... Oh, I would hope I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm more present, as in presence. Uh, with Lisa in many ways because I'm not so caught up in the illusion of show business. Um, 
you know, this, this tour this year is throwing myself in the deep end of the pool because we're going to, you know, I got a lot of kids and grandkids, so I want to make sure that there's some money in the coffers for whatever comes up for that part of the family. Uh, and I do want to do some traveling, but I don't need to do this year as heavily as the way we've designed it for traveling. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I want to be present. I want to enjoy this love affair, this third chance I've been given to not blow it. And, um, I hope she's listening to this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's recorded, so you can't blow it's it. Right? She's going to bring it back to you. Uh, um, as we kind of close out this hour, and, and again, really appreciate transparency and vulnerability, and, and I'm, I'm sure, like we talked about before, that somebody's hearing something that you said that, that resonates in, in their life and, and appreciate how you're dealing with it or, or how you said it. Um. As, as you start to, to exit the, the music career and, and as we start getting older and our runway gets sh- shorter, mm. what, do you, what do you hope to be remembered for? Mm. Well, obviously the music, you know, I think will haunt my kids for <laughs> years to come. I hope it haunts them in a good way because yeah. it's, it's really lovely. It'll be in both ways, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, I wrote, I recorded a, about three songs for children and parents, uh, three albums rather for children and parents, uh, Return to Pooh Corner being mm-hmm. the first one. And so that goes generation to generation. So that, that music will probably hang around. Um, years ago, I was asked that question and I, they said, what do you want on your epitaph? And I said, he told the truth. Um, that has been my primary goal with my lyrics and my music is then that somebody can listen to it and go, ah, that's the truth. I like that. Yeah. Uh, again, we just want to express our gratitude for your willingness to give us your time. It's so refreshing that your um, humility comes through loud <laughs> and clear. We've had some a couple other famous people that have come to see us and they haven't been quite as humble as you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Really, it, it must it must be the musicians because Glenn Phillips is a f- friend of the podcast, and Glenn's been in here. And yeah, we're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, you're cut yeah. from you're cut from the same cloth, lovely and, guy. and yeah. yeah, still just like you, it was a lovely conversation. Yeah, and, he's and a terrific it, guy and very in depth, um, in in that way, and and none of the the showbiz shtick. Well, it's because all. because the kind of music that we write is introspective. Right. So you spend most of your career looking inward. That's where the good songs are hiding. I, I, I'm going to close it right there because yeah, I think Ken, I think Kenny better. framed it perfectly that yeah. that yeah. everything is within there. Mm. So, Kenny, thanks for being here. Appreciate Thank it. You. And, and best of luck on uh, 2023 and the tour. And look forward to seeing you at the County Bowl in the last show. All right. Thank you. We'll see you there. All right. Take care. Bye. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.